Is that Tanya? <laughs> is that Tanya Tucker? It's me. In the Big Apple. I am. How, I navigated the whole city today by myself. How many construction jobs have you uh, worked on today since you've been there? Since you're a hardworking East Kentuckian, Con- Tanya. Oh my God. <laughs> I went and got my fucking nails done. <laughs> I will say I walked Tanya to the bus stop this morning. It was really cute. I felt yeah. like I was taking my little kindergartner to the bus stop. Yeah, she, I, I hugged her. I hugged her as I got onto the bus, and the bus driver was literally shaking his head because I had dollar bills in my hand, and the bus doesn't take dollar bills. It takes quarters. And he and I was like, it's two seventy five, right? And he was like, quarters. Quarters. <laughs> and I was just crushed. Oh, my just crushed. God. Wow. Well, that's because I, I misinformed you. So. Wow. It was fine. He just let me ride anyway because it, it my uh, goodbye was so beautiful with you. That's why. Well, it uh, sounds like everybody is here and ready to go. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> More or less. All right. Uh, welcome to the Trailbillies. It is, uh, we are joined today by uh, Tanya Tucker in the Big Apple Um Corresponding all the way from New York City um, with <laughs> Sylvia Ryerson and <laughs> Judah Shep. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Hey. Thank you. Hello. It's great to be with you all, Chillbillies. Yeah, this is kind of like a. Tanya, what did you call it like back in the day when people would have like phone parties, like on the holler line or something like that? The party line. The party this is a party line. We're on the party line. party line throwback. <laughs> yeah, from the canyons of Manhattan to, or you, yeah, I don't know, you're probably in Brooklyn, huh? Yeah, <laughs> we're in Brooklyn. <laughs> Slumming. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Um, well, so we wanted to have you all on the show this week because um, you just released uh, a article in the Boston Review called Bo- uh, Building Prisons in Appalachia. Uh, this is a show we've sort of wanted to do for a long time, and um, now we have both a news hook and the opportunity to talk about it. It's a, something that we're all familiar with, so we're just kind of kind of um, kick it off. I just kind of want to ask you, Sylvia and Judah, what the, what is the article about, and uh, what is your purpose in writing it? You could also even tell us a little bit about yourselves. Oh, yeah, you could also... Not not to make this, like, speed dating or anything, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you could Uh, also... Sylvia, you want to go first? Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so excited to get to chat with you all because um, I'm a huge fan and it feels like a little reunion for me because I miss getting to see you all every day from when I used to live in Whitesburg. Um, Yeah, so I am here in New York now, but spent five years working at Apple Shop um, for WMMT Radio as a reporter and was a part of um, the Calls from Home radio team that you all are carrying on with um, such amazingness. Um, (laughs) And... um, yeah, and I'm just really excited to reconnect and talk to you all about all the incredible work that, that you've been doing um, in Letcher County um, since I was there around this uh, recent federal prison proposal. Yeah, so I'm Judah. Um, I am calling in from Lexington, Kentucky, uh, and I'm an associate professor at Eastern Kentucky University in the what's called the School of Justice Studies. 
And uh, yeah, I tend to think a lot about and write about and teach about prison growth and opposition to prison growth and things like that. Yeah, and so um, you both wrote this article because uh, it was announced on Good Friday, in fact. Uh, Hal Rogers announced it um, in relation to Good Friday. He said it is a Good Friday <laughs> indeed. Um, it was announced that they are, um, they have, I guess you could say, uh, rubber-stamped approval for a federal prison for the county that we live in, Letcher County. So I kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about the history of this project, why it's important sort of nationally, and what you are both trying to say through um, writing what you've uh, published. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the um, Drew and I have been wanting to write something together, I think, for, for a while. Um, and I think the immediate impetus actually for this piece traced a little earlier than the Friday announcement to um, an article that came out on NBC News a couple weeks prior. Um, do you, know, do you want to talk a little bit about that article? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so as Sylvia was saying, there was this um, fairly, I think, highly circulated article and accompanying video from an NBC News journalist um, and the product of, I think, a fairly substantial amount of time um, in Letcher County um, that uh, profiled the county's attempt to build um, to build the prison. Um, and which the article had been a long time coming. I think a number of us had been anticipating it. A number of us had been in contact with the journalists. And then, uh, I think it's safe to say that it, Sylvia and I and, and other folks were sort of disappointed, um, but perhaps not so surprised by the sort of tone and tenor and content of the piece, which, um, absent like a few sort of gestures to opposition was fairly uniform in its like positioning of the prison as a kind of redemption redemption opportunity for the county um, and more for the most part ignored all kinds of um, well all kinds of information that I think would otherwise have kind of tempered the content and and made it a lot more complicated than it was and also ignored a lot of opposition uh, that's occurred and so I think Sylvie and I were both, um, sort of motivated to write something to uh, reveal some of the um, some of the problems in that NBC news piece, and then as Sylvia was saying, just on the heels of that, just like a week later, is when on Good Friday the BOP announced or handed down its record of decision. So in the span of one week, you had this ridiculous story come out, and then um, the actual decision to move forward with construction convenient <laughs> exactly yeah yeah by yeah. design and uh when you reference bop you're referring to the bureau of prisons correct that's right yeah sorry the bureau of prisons so the okay. agency that's responsible for federal prison building and operations you all mentioned that you were in contact with the nbc journalist that did that piece uh what did they have to say about the the deference paid to the planning commission which is sort of this group of affluent elders locally that have sort of been uh um trying to bring this thing here for more than a decade 
Um, I, well, I actually, the only contact I've had with the journalist since the piece came out was just today, um, when he emailed me <laughs> the link to our Boston review article and, and just saying that he stands by, um, his reporting. Um, but prior to that, he and I had, <laughs> he and I had, Salty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm interested. Uh, you know, just just to give the audience a little bit of some context, what I would imagine what he's saying he stands by is you. You guys pointed it out in your article. There was approximately nine seconds that they devoted to any kind of um, interrogation of this as a good idea, or any, or you know, they they out of a six minute piece, they gave about nine seconds to like opposition um, viewpoints and you know any kind of um, sort of rebuttal to the the project at all I guess that is that what he was sort of referring to uh, I guess <laughs> uh, I, I'm really not he, he, he literally just sent me a one-line email and I uh, after some discussion with Sylvia I decided not to respond at least not yet but I suppose <laughs> so and 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 I think that's a pretty indefensible as you point out Terrence a lot. I mean, that's obviously so imbalanced. It's really token coverage of uh, pretty kind of deep and vibrant um, uh, collection of opposition. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm only left to kind of you know uh, speculate on on what he's standing by. But I suppose it's that. Especially given the name of the NBC article is literally "Does America Need Another Prison?" It's it's claiming to be investigative. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think Judah. Point. Yeah, I think that your official response to that email should be a link to this podcast episode. <laughs> 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 Just keep the links rolling, Judah. Yeah, we're fine with that. <laughs> Will do. Um. Well, so so yeah, no. Um. So we know the media is obviously dog shit, and um, so there's that. But I kind of want to talk a little bit about, like, um, in Sylvia, I mean, I know both of you have done a lot of research into this, um, but I want to talk a little bit about just sort of, like, zooming back several thousand feet or so to talk a little bit about, like, where this idea came from, you know, uh, rural prison expansion in general, you know what I mean, and... The sort of, um, I don't know, where it fits into, uh, as Sylvia would say, uh, neo-colonial, neo-colonialism, neoliberalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for me, my research um, around the um, proposed prison in Letcher County, USP Letcher, which stands for United States Penitentiary Letcher, which is... Um, maximum security 1200 bed prison that they're proposing to build here um actually goes back 10 years for me i i was an intern at apple shop in the summer of 2008 and i um remember picking up a copy of the mountain eagle and there was like a front page story about the possibility of um a prison coming to Letcher county 10 years ago and that was in 2008 yeah <laughs> and at that point the the planning efforts had already been going for three years it started in 2005 um and the way i've been told the story which i think is really interesting um 
is that a, um, this is the way the story's been told to me by Elwood Cornett, who's one of the co-chairs of the Letcher County Planning Commission that's been the main sort of, you know, as you know, the group of sort of local elites that have been um, largely behind closed doors working to... Rest assured, this is not his first appearance on Trailbillies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> his first mention. Elwood needs no introduction oh, here. Oh, Elwood. <laughs> yeah, so the way Elwood explained it to me was that... Um, a group of local leaders came together and, um, you know, at that point they were looking at the statistics for out-migration in the county, the amount of young people leaving, and um, came together, formed this group called the Planning Commission and came up with a mission statement that was to um, give pe young people uh, good quality jobs and reasons to stay home and to improve the local education. And they had this like five-point plan of what they wanted to do to um, improve the future of Letcher County. And the, they then went to Hal Rogers' office and talked with one of Hal Rogers' aides, Bob Mitchell, I believe his name was, and, and that was when Bob Mitchell sort of said to the Planning Commission, well, would you ever consider a prison? And the way Elwood tells the story is at first they were like, no, we wouldn't want a prison. We That's not what we're talking about here. We need help for our people, what can you, what can you do to help us? Um, and then the way Elwood says, then we thought about it and we realized that the prisoners just don't escape. And we came around to the idea. Um, mm. and, and that was in 2005. And then they became partners with Hal Rogers and the rest is history. And they've been working now for almost 13 years to bring this federal prison to town. Right. Um, but I think that 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 start point is really interesting to me in that, um, I think that it's can be um, from a national perspective, people think that like, you know, rural places imagine prisons as this savior and like have this idea to go after. But actually, it was the opposite. Actually, it was the federal government offering this to this group of local leaders. It was directly from Congressman Rogers office saying, well, I, here's what we can give you. Um, and I think that's a really important point of distinction, that if if Hal Rogers' office at that moment had said, well, we'll work with you to build a drug rehabilitation court, or we'll give you this investment in the school system, or X, Y, or Z, um, regardless of the, like, that it, it might not have been a democratic process, that it was a very exclusive group of elite leaders, but they still um, would have gone in a different direction, I think, at that point. And so it was definitely a top-down sort of proposal from the federal government of being like, this is what we can offer Letcher County um, at this moment in time. Right. Um, one of the things that I f find so fascinating, and you you wrote about it um, several years ago, <clears throat> was that um, it it almost, what, it, what wound up happening with the sort of local planning commission and with Hal Rogers is that, um, after a certain point, the planning commission and local elites basically started selling the county's poverty, as, as and and, and this isn't just this isn't just uh, unique to Letcher County. Uh, you know, you've documented this in other counties and other places around Central Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky. But the effect that that winds winds up ha having is that they they use all the very real problems that exist in the community. And then they say, therefore, the prison is a perfect solution to those problems. But the effect that that winds up having, having is that you actually cover up those problems and they don't get addressed whatsoever. And then probably very likely they get exacerbated once the, prison actu the prisons actually come to these rural counties. 
Exactly, Terrence. And I mean, the whole site selection and recruitment process is this bizarre charade where, um, and I think this, you know, um, is nationwide in many ways where, um, I mean, um, so towns are basically advertising themselves as the best location in this bidding war. Um, and I had other counties in Kentucky where I was doing research where they had like, um, tried to get prisons prior to the ones that they now have and like lost. And so like, it's like places competing with each other to the lowest common denominator to basically, um, okay, well, what's so ironic about it is that the Bureau of Prisons claims that they're sort of, um, neutral in terms of where the prison goes. They just want to minimize their own internal costs. And so they're looking for a place that has, um, cheap land, has, um, you know, is going to attract employees as a place to live, whatever will make it easier for them. And so that's the sort of irony of this is that this is being advertised to poor communities as a as a jobs program when right. actually from the Bureau of Prisons perspective, there's no guarantee of jobs at all. And they're not designing this. Um, I mean, I think it's they sort of go both ways on this, but they claim to be um you know, neutral in terms of site selection. And so it's sort of up incumbent upon these local planning commissions to advertise the community in terms of um, both having like cheap and readily available land, but also um, a high quality of living and all the amenities that would like attract a workforce to live there. Um, so they're kind of saying two things at the same time, which is like, we're a place that will welcome you with open arms and have, um, y- you know, really uh cheap land for you but also we're not actually going to articulate the real social needs of our community in this process and sort of pretend that they don't exist right and and i think across the board like you're saying it's often fueled by federal elected officials because they have so much to gain from having especially rural elected officials have so much to gain by having these populations move into their congressional districts. And we can we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but I think it would be certainly, um, I mean, just all, all of the reasons that Hal Rogers has to push prisons in his district are just, they're, it's sick. Yeah. It's just so sick. Yeah. And and like you said, then the narrative, he, he gets to be hailed as a hero locally, and then the national narrative, it still becomes rural versus urban, this like poor people pitted against one another because it looks like we've been begging for a prison. Right, right. So this is just uh, sort of one example. And, you know, I think another good example that you've given before, Sylvia, is the one in nearby McCreary County. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about McCreary County and some of the surrounding counties. But I also wanted to talk, and and Judy, you might be able to sort of uh, add some stuff to this as well, about just the rural prison expansion throughout the 90s uh, in general, the 80s and 90s in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things we we wanted to be sure to talk about in the piece is that um, the phenomenon that you all are experiencing in Letcher County and in the surrounding counties in general region is actually um, kind of emblematic of a much longer and larger sort of trend. Um, I think it's I think the number is 350 prisons have been built in rural areas of the United States just since the 1980s. Um, which is dramatic. It's something like a 15 new prisons were built 
in a rural community every year. That's what it averages out to. Wow. Um, and of course, that that mirrors, you know, our precipitous rise in the number of people who are incarcerated to the point of, you know, its peak at 2.3 million. Um, but I think as you all are are saying, it's it's also it's about more than just the numbers of people who are incarcerated. Um, and, and even it's more, and it's more than, it's also more than just about sort of our harsh sentencing laws and things like that. It's also about prisons being sort of marketed as these so-called solutions to all kinds of problems, mainly caused by, by devolution and divestment and all of those things. Um, uh, and prisons are sort of positioned by people like Hal Rogers or the planning commission as this kind of magic bullet solution that supposedly will resolve all of these crises. When in fact, as you said, Terrence, it often, and this is borne out in the data, often exacerbates them, particularly in in communities that are already um, sort of struggling economically. So that's sort of like the, the furthest out view. Right. And I think that can be hard for people to understand. Maybe it'd be helpful to talk through like what we've seen happen in McCurry and Clay and Martin County. Um, and, and nationally also, like what it means that this actually can make poor places poorer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing is like in this bidding war that happens is counties are so desperate to get the prison that they end up paying out of pocket for a lot of the infrastructure costs for the prison. So, I mean, I'm going to be really curious to see. And I think like we all need to like watch what happens in terms of the, the location they've selected in Roxana. It's on this teeny little two lane road out in the county. Like who's going to pay to to change that road potentially into a larger road and to run water lines and to improve the septic system? So much of that money comes out of the county's budget because they're being promised this economic reward that then ultimately doesn't happen so I think that's a huge thing um is the sort of like the whole build up to the prison um yep. costs a lot the people who live out there and I yeah. know Terrence and Tom and I've talked about this before probably I think on the podcast that the people who live out there do not have sewage they don't have water like they don't have county infrastructure mm-hmm. and our current county infrastructure systems our water plant our sewage plant do not have the capacity to run lines like it, it's not even just a oh we'll just bury some lines and run them out there we need we have to overhaul our entire systems because we literally don't have the capacity to run it out there that far out in the county especially not to service a facility housing 1200 fucking people yeah. And right. so um, back, I guess it's been two years ago now, Tom and Terrence, we um, yeah. we started, we all started trying to like research the uh, local, um, it's like the called the Kentucky River Area Development District or whatever, CRAD, they, they will ever so often release a list of priorities. And the last, like, I guess it was probably their 2016 list of priorities. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, the, the, like the third t- and this is for multiple counties this is for like a 10 county area in eastern Kentucky their number three top priority was to um, build up the capacity of Letcher County systems to service a prison Right. And that was before wow. that was that was two wow. that was two years ago. And of course, yeah. like wow. the rest, th- this is a list of 50 priorities covering 10, 10 or more counties. It might even be more than 10. It might be a lot more. Um, I don't know if you know, uh, Tom. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm I know it's uh, Letcher, but. Perry, Breathitly. There's a, Leslie, maybe, and a couple of others. Yeah, so it's yeah. yeah, it's several counties. Well, and what's so fascinating about it is that like it. it I remember when they were first announcing that when when we all saw that document. I remember specifically reading the research that Sylvia had done on neighboring McCreary County, and it was identical. It was literally the same thing. <laughs> it was like. It was like what they do is they roll out the red carpet in terms of infrastructure and they make all these promises and they actually will go to some extent to actually build some of the infrastructure. But but like it's got Mm -hmm. this weird sort of twisted logic where like they're it's so bizarre when you really think about it. It's like they acknowledge the problems of deindustrialization and, and and poverty and all these things but the way that they're doing it is they're using these things as like like as you said in the article putative uh, solutions to it and it's I don't know it's just like it can make you feel like you're living in fucking bizarre land it's just insane right exactly Terrence and and what happened in McCreary County was that after they built this whole new water treatment plant to support the prison um, still a large percentage of county residents didn't have water supply because the whole design was to target the prison and so it goes back to this thing about it being a supposed community development but which actually isn't how you would holistically approach community development at all because it's not actually prioritizing what the county's needs are it's prioritizing the prison's needs and using the prison as like a vehicle that the county can then even have access to funds that like why otherwise does it not have access to yeah right yeah, and and you need one need not look further than uh, the water crisis in Martin County to see that. Uh, yeah. How these things exactly. shake out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which also has a prison. Which yeah. also has a prison, right? I guess we should. Yeah. Say. <laughs> a prison that is literally sinking into the earth because uh, it was built on top of a strip mine. Um, sink, sink. Right. Right. Yeah, sink, sink. And it it is, I'm pretty sure it's still currently the most expensive prison ever built in the United States until they build this one. (laughs) This is now. Right. Yeah, so this will this U- USP Letcher would become the most expensive prison to be built in the U.S. Um, next to its neighboring Martin County in East Kentucky because they're putting these prisons in places that are truly bizarre and insane. Right, sinking land it is, it is. that yeah, has been strip mined. Yeah, and, and you know something that that we need to talk about. I feel like just to tack onto the whole idea of crumbling infrastructure and sort of prioritizing infrastructure for prisons mm-hmm. over communities is oftentimes what you see happening is, and you know I'm I'm just saying this anecdotally. Nothing's really been written about this that could actually <laughs> prove this, but oftentimes guys like Hal Rogers will be the cheerleaders for these pieces of legislation. Um, usually it's some sort of AML thing or the Reclaim Act is another one. And, you know, it'll it'll get everybody in our sort of liberal nonprofit world worked up about the possibility of economic diversification and all these things, but contained therein is, you know, a funds for things like running water lines and sewer lines to prisons and yeah. stuff like that. And so what ends up happening is well-meaning people end up tacitly supporting legislation that ends up, um, you know, sort of compromising uh, 
some of the things we believe in. Yeah, and I think that mm. like a, a an important point to tack on to that, and I just to clarify for the audience, what Tom is referring to by AML is abandoned mine lands in the Reclaim Act is like it just kind of shows you the limits of the sort of neoliberal imagination in which you can dangle these sort of uh, economic development initiatives in front of of the sort of more progressive civic minded types. And at the same time, uh, you know, if the, if we can just distract them with those big shiny objects, then you can also, uh, with the other hand, um, expand the police state, uh, expand the drug war, expand the prison state. I don't know. It's just again, it's just a really fascinating thing to behold. It's very twisted and disgusting. But right, and I think that even connects back to this whole piece of. Um, people like Hal Rogers and similar uh, similar career politicians who represent poor congressional districts, ours being one of the poorest. We often go back and forth with actually a congressional district in Harlem, I think, or the Bronx, somewhere here in New York. Um, I should go visit them and be like, hey, we're cousins. <laughs> uh, we'll, let's have a party. Um, but that they their their congressional districts are shrinking in population size and so they are all the time at risk of losing the district like by gerrymandering they will redistrict states and um he there were multiple times over the last 30 years that Hal Rogers could have very easily lost the fifth di- fifth district of eastern kentucky as in like it wouldn't be a district anymore and it would be like tacked on to another district so that he would be likely to lose that seat and not be able to um compete with another in a whole other region and these um, prisons provide huge population things for him. Instead of like actually investing in the region, so people want to stay there or move there, this is his. This is his easy um, access to a lot of a lot of bodies, and uh, as we and they're and they're non-voting bodies, which is a very important piece because we know that when people aren't voting, Republicans are winning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about, and and you you all mentioned it towards the end of your um, article, uh, is you talk about Golden Gulag, uh, which is a book by Ruth Wilson Gilmore. I've not actually read it; it's one of the book, book that I've been uh, meaning to read for a long time. But um, I think it ties into this question of the people who are in the prisons and the sort of conventional um, thinking that prisons are built on the margins of society and that people are pushed into these places and they're just sort of like disappeared. But I think that, um, and I'll just quote directly from the article that you wrote, um, uh, Golden Gulag geographer Ruth Wilson Gilmore corrects the common mistake of thinking that prisons sit on the edges of society, holding marginalized people in marginal places. Instead, she notes, edges are also interfaces that can connect places including non-contiguous places, into a relationship. In the case of Eastern Kentucky, prison building consolidates the crises of urban and rural sacrifice zones, or what Gilmore calls organized abandonment. But for this very reason, the choice to build a prison in Letcher County reveals the social social proximity between and inter- interdependency of rural and urban struggles for justice. Um, I really like that. Could you guys expand on that just a little bit? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think in some ways, those connections that Ruthie Wilson Gilmore is talking about, um, you all in in Eastern Kentucky uh, know intimately, um, both in terms of the idea that 
that rural places and in particular central Appalachia, um, the kind of like myth that it's, um, you know, remote, inaccessible, you know, place disconnected and, and in fact behind all of these other sort of urban areas of the United States. You all know that from, you know, better than better than anyone, better than most people, because Appalachian coal is what fueled urban industrialization and World Wars One and Two. Um, there is this sort of like inherent connection between rural and urban, certainly between Appalachia and and all kinds of urban spaces. I think the prison is a really kind of, well, quite literally, um, as well as metaphorically, like concrete um, illustration of that, that connects all kinds of places that I think most people maybe think of as being um, not related or struggling in different ways, um, or in some ways like totally opposed to one another. Um, and it in fact brings them closer together uh, in some of the ways that we laid out. Also, you know, I think what we were hoping to do in writing this piece is um, really showcase the incredible organizing and coalition building that you guys have done that actually enacts those very connections. Um, I mean, you guys work together to have everyone from the Sierra Club to the Human Rights Defense Center to the Color of Change to the Abolitionist Law Center, um, the fight against campaign against toxic prisons. I mean, I think, you know, that that what you're doing is some of the most exciting organizing out there. And I think what was so frustrating about the MBC piece was that um, in barely even mentioning this incredible um, mobilization um, in what became an unprecedented number of uh, revisions to the federal environmental impact statement for this prison. Um, I When I... Um, when I was doing my undergraduate thesis in college, I was looking at the process for Clay, Martin, and McCree um, and reading the you know required EIS statements um, for each of those three prisons. And I remember just like going through those documents and it was so exciting every time I found like one public comment that was somebody questioning um, the process. And there were um, some amazing um, petitions, particularly in McCree County, there was a lot of opposition over um, that all the sites had really problematic outcomes in different ways and a lot of organizing over um, land conservation and local land ownership and the property tax base. But anyways, I, but, um, I think it's kind of amazing that like now Letcher County being the fourth of these four prisons to come to Eastern Kentucky, um, you all have just like opened the floodgates in terms of the record of opposition that you've created and um, now is cataloged. I mean, um, that you guys delayed the advance of the prison for 30 months through this process. I mean, so I just, I think that's astounding. Um, and I just think of like now this document we have that that is because of your work um, of the just um, thousands of comments of opposition that is um, in comparison to those other three places is just above and beyond um, what's ever been on the books before. Tanya, do you have anything you want to add to that? I mean, it's pretty wild to hear it framed that way um, because it's hard in, in this moment in time not to feel like we failed because there's a fucking record of decision. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's been a really emotional month mm -hmm. since the ROD came down. Um, 
But like when I've tried to reflect on that time when we were organizing beyond what we were even able to do, like we were meeting multiple times a week, we were all just um, tapping ourselves out, trying to wrap our heads around what to do and taking you know, as many steps forward as we can. And they weren't all, we weren't always making the best steps forward. Um, but we, uh, it feels like, you know, we knocked a few bulbs out somewhere, uh, a few places. But th- four days before the 2016 um, election, um, which has also had its own fallout, of course, and like this podcast really was born out of that moment and there's just just been a long year and a half since then um but four days before the election we had a community gathering in our public library in whitesburg called prison town why why we called it like why now what's next or something to talk about like just unravel all of this like you know why is this being proposed to us why now what's the process what the hell's going on and what can we expect and like over 30 people showed up to that in our local library and we put together in preparation for this gathering we put together a timeline of mass incarceration in the u.s starting with slavery and ending with prison expansion (laughs) like coming up to the current day prison expansion in the u.s and a lot of it had a lot of those like rural all that rural prison expansion that Judah mentioned earlier. Um, And then like the $444 million for this prison being allocated um, and us starting this organizing. And it just feels like then the election happened. I mean, that was a pretty, that was like the last big powerful moment that I feel like we had in kind of the, the let your governance project um, organizing and and then the election happened and it felt like a lot of mm-hmm. wind came out of our sails um, not you know uh, just a couple months after that Nazis announced they were marching in Pikeville just you know 30 miles down the road and so and then we've basically been chasing Nazis out of Appalachia for the last year so it's just been <laughs> like the most insane roller coaster uh, just onslaught onslaughts of attacks on the region um, that I don't even think we've fully stepped back and reflected on and thought about. And so it's really kind of emotional to even hear Sylvia say, like, say it in these terms of like, we documented this resistance and because so many people, we, we personally in Letcher County, we know so many people who don't want a prison. Um, and that and those stories and feelings get completely lost in the national narrative and sure as fuck are completely lost at, at, in this NBC piece. Um, one thing I, I w- I'm really interested to hear from y'all about is, you know, we kind of had a weird roller coaster, uh, uh, like, because, you know, when you point this out in your piece, um, the funding, f- the Trump administration wanted to can this prison. They, they, dis- they said back in 2017 that they didn't want to fund this thing. And they had cited, weirdly enough, they had cited uh, declining prison population and, you know, some of these other factors. You know, and then they sort of did an about face uh, a couple um, weeks ago and then included it in the budget. No doubt probably because of Congressman Hal Rogers' uh, clout. But um, what, I'm, what I'm really interested to talk to you all about is, like, what is the future for um, incarceration in this country? You know what I mean? Because I'm not 
as plugged into some of these larger conversations as y'all are. And not only that, but like, what is the future for in terms of um, rural America? You know what I mean? Because like from where we sit, it's obviously very, the machine is still humming along very efficiently. And, uh, and it seems like Jeff Sessions, as you even noted in the article, it seems like Jeff Sessions wants to return back to this time and, you know, of the 80s and 90s that expanded the prison state so much of law and order and the drug war and all these other things i think it's it's hard to predict because it's in some ways it's 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 an uneven um the evidence is sort of uneven so you have a place like new york which for you know, a couple of decades was one of the sort of bellwether states for rising like incarceration trends and whatnot. Super punitive stuff in New York City, lots of upstate prisons and rural communities, etc. But in recent years, maybe the last decade or so, has really dramatically reduced the number, like closed rural prisons. Um, and so you have sort of that on the one hand, and then you have something like central Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky in particular, which is built, you know, if this gets built, like as we write in the piece, it'll be the fourth federal prison built in just the last, what, like 15 or no, 20 years or so. Right. Um, And so it's sort of hard to predict. The other thing I would say though, in terms of like national trends is even, I'd say maybe even as Trump came into office, but certainly preceding him for a few years, you had this kind of growing so-called bipartisan consensus about the need for prison reform. And you had a bunch of states, including Kentucky, partner with these sort of like um, non-profit-y organizations to strategize and reduce their uh, state prison populations. But it was really um, sort of token. And what you saw happening, and one of the ways that I would answer that question is you saw jail populations starting to rise as state prison populations started to slightly decrease. Right. So Kentucky, for example, has really significantly, severely overcrowded jails in all kinds of places. You also see all over the place, the Vera Institute of Justice actually just came out with this report um, about the, the sort of new trend of rural jail populations growing dramatically. So you have, you have that. And then the, the kind of like final part of that is you, you see sort of like this, um, I think of it as a kind of insidious logic of, um, folks who at one time would have been sort of prison or jail boosters, uh, you know, um, orbiting who had orbited around the kind of logic of logic of law and order and and throw away the key and all those things now trying to justify expanding prison and jail and what and you know other institutional infrastructures through invoking like racial justice and therapeutic justice and things like that so just as one example corrections corporation of america the largest private prison company um Mm -hmm. in the united states now builds like re-entry facilities and wanted to turn the prison that's in floyd county in wheelwright into like um what do they call it like a like a nursing home for parolees so i think we have to be really kind of hyper vigilant of how how these kinds of like enlargements of prison infrastructure 
can take the form that we're used to, like what's happening in Letcher County, but they also can take the form of kind of slightly amended projects that might make us feel a little bit better. Um, but we need to sort of be wary about what, what they actually will do, what work they'll do. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly as Judah said. I think just to outline for folks that the, the chronology of this particular proposal is pretty striking in that um, the funding, the original $444 million was allocated in 2016. And then um, just this past summer in the um, Department of Justice budget proposal for 2018, they rescinded the funding because they noted the decline in the federal prison population. And the Bureau of Prisons um, basically told um, this, uh, told Congress that they didn't think this prison was necessary. And so they were, they like, you know, didn't have the funding for it in their budget. Um, and then Trump just reinstated the full funding. And so it's, it's just, it's um, a surreal situation where we're literally building a prison that the Bureau of Prisons itself has said is not necessary, Um, which I think just like underlines um, our complete reliance on this system, even when you have like the the actual Bureau of Prisons saying it's unnecessary, we still can't get out of it. Um, So... I just think that's like, you know, what is what does that mean that we've become this this sort of um, system of racialized social control has become so ingrained in our society that we're sort of like continuing onwards, um, even when even when there's been this supposed sort of reckoning um, that we don't really we haven't really uh, enacted anything different yet (laughs) we're still like plotting for it and it also and it also just speaks to sessions um real determination to sort of uh steer us all backwards right right and to further lay this at how roger's feet since judah brings up cca also on this um timeline we have seen the coal industry's contributions to how Rogers' re-election campaigns plummet mm-hmm. as the coal industry plummets, yet mm. CCA CCA has been um, increasing their investment in his re-election campaigns wow. over the last decade. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think both of you uh, make a really good point that I really want to stress to our, our listeners, um, which is, I'm having a little bit of feedback on my... Um, which is that like we everybody should be incredibly wary of any kind of like market-based solutions to decarceration and just like you saying what you were saying Judah about how they want to change uh, or uh, transition the facility in Willwright Floyd County into a I can't remember what you said like a recovery center or something yeah like a nursing home yeah it capitalism in the logic of capitalism still hasn't found an answer to uh hu- to non-productive uh people of society that it deems non-productive. And so prisons in some ways is a sort of logical extension of that, but like I don't know if people have really um reckoned with like what comes after that because it's probably going to be just as uh as you're saying Sylvia, it's probably going to be just as racialized, just uh, another system of social control. And um, it's incredibly important to be to stay on your toes about it and to um, 
as you said, be wary. Oh, ha, ha, keep your eyes open, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Geo Group is another large corporation that gives hell a lot of money. <laughs> uh, Geo Group and CCA. Mm-hmm. Didn't one of them change their name recently to like a... Oh, that's right. CCA is Core Civic. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, they changed, yeah. They they wanted a, a little more public friendly name. <laughs> a little rebranding. Yeah, rebranding. Exactly, rebranding. Right. God. Um, and they're currently building a lot of uh, immigration detention centers. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, they run about half of them, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, um, there's not much else I want to add to this, unless um, you. Unless either of you want to add anything, I did want to talk a little bit about the restorative radio project just because it's an important um, part of the story we're telling here, which is that, like, um, I think what sort of gets buried in a lot of this isn't just the incarcerated people themselves, but, like, how the system impacts uh, loved ones of incarcerated people. And... um, Sylvia's your uh, restorative radio project, I think, is a good example of um, of highlighting that. Yeah, I mean, so I guess in that um, on that point, I did want to say that I mean, I think for me, um, the the work I did in uh, in Letcher County was coming from a even uh, a longer history of work that's happened um, at Apple Shop against mass incarceration in the prison system going back to the 1990s um, when Amelia Kirby and Nick Zabrola created this incredible documentary film called Off the Ridge, um, which was about the opening of two state prisons in Southwest Virginia right over the border. Um, and that led to the creation of the Calls from Home show, which you all are continuing to this day, um, which is ultimately what led to restorative radio. But for people that aren't familiar with Calls from Home, um, it's a weekly radio show on WMMT that provides a toll-free phone number for families from all across the country to call into the radio station and leave a message that um, is then broadcast out to reach those incarcerated. Um, WMMT has seven prisons within its local broadcast area as of now, um, and um, USP Lecture would also fall within that broadcast area. Um, but so... Um, I mean, I think that Calls from Home is, is just, um, I mean, what you all are doing with that show every week is just an incredible um, point of solidarity between urban and rural communities and across time and space of, like, helping families connect. Um, because the people that are calling it every week are, so I, I hosted that show for four years, and you all are hosting it now, and um, I, and it's, um, I, uh just an, a really special thing I think um but I think it was for me through hosting that weekly radio show and um maybe you all feel the same that I would get to know a lot of the families that called in week after week after week um from Florida and California and Connecticut and the Virgin Islands all across the country to this teeny little radio station in southeast Kentucky to reach their loved ones and it was sort of through that show that I really learned the tremendous obstacles that families face in terms of being able to keep in touch with their loved ones incarcerated, um, that so many people hadn't been able to visit in years or even decades. Um, and 
that phone calls are exorbitantly expensive and letters get censored or don't reach people, um, just the layers and layers of obstacles for family communication that are only exacerbated when the prisons are, when you're incarcerated very far from home. Um, and I think, I mean, that's just a, the most devastating part of this phenomenon um, is that it's, it's separating families and um, it just, I think, really shows the hypocrisy of the whole system for me because we know that um, people being able to stay in touch with their families and have family relationships is the most important thing in terms of being able to successfully re-enter once your sentence is served. Um, and so um, we're literally making that nearly impossible for um, millions of families. Mm-hmm. And- I'll just add that another spinoff of the radio show has been the have, has been these um, ride shares because the bulk of um, the folks who are incarcerated in Southwest Virginia, just across the border of Letcher County, in in two maximum security um, uh, state penitentiaries, there are from Richmond, Virginia, and so birthed out because we've been like building relationships and getting to know these families over the last how twenty years now almost. Um, we figured you know one of the biggest needs is that folks can't get down here to see each other and so some local churches have started and there's like more churches all the time helping have started um making it like a missionary project out of their church and it's just to to support ride shares from richmond down to southwest virginia and we have big potlucks so people can meet each other they pack lunches so they cover the gas the food for families to get down here and these are the type of like creative resistance solution hustles that never get picked up by the media and that nbc completely fucking glazed over and didn't give an ounce of credibility and so it's if this if this prison gets built that will be what the organizing looks like churches will come together to create to create a situation where we can at least try to support families who are going to be coming to this community um not to mention we know that when people in richmond virginia when a black man in richmond virginia is arrested for some petty ass crime and he's going through the system he's told you know what we're going to send you down to wise county where it's nothing but white hillbillies down there barefoot and they fucking hate you and you're going to serve about your time down there and so it's just like building on this fucked up narrative that has just been exacerbated from from the 2016 election right um well uh these are all uh really important uh aspects of this um again i, I don't have uh, much else i want to add to this and we are just now past an hour um but do y'all have anything you want to plug or any final thing you want to talk about? I'll just say one quick thing. It's not a – well, It's I, guess, I suppose it's a plug for the book you brought up before, uh, Terrence, Golden Gulag, yeah. which I think to me is, is sort of the most comprehensive and incisive book um, that I can think of that I've read on, on really trying – you know, really trying to sort of understand why we have the system we have today, um, the prison system we have today. One of the things that I think just the last few minutes have really illustrated that I think is essential to her argument in the book and and what and the point that you brought up actually, Terrence, um, in reference to our piece about about prisons kind of collapsing these urban and rural crises into one space and bringing these places closer together. I think what Sylvia, what, well, first of all, what WMMT has done with calls from home and what restorative radio does and what 
Tanya was talking about with respect to sort of all of the organizing work is in to paraphrase what Ruth Wilson Gilmore says in the book that even as the prison is sort of in the midst of and sends out this like vast what she calls like or maybe she doesn't use this term but a vast sort of carceral web that connects all of these places um all along that web are all of these little sort of nodes of you know you can call it what you want whether it's resistance or abolition or you know something less uh I don't know, something even less sort of super politicized, but just folks making do and surviving and creating connections. Um, that's also what happens. And that also follows that kind of like same cross regional geography um, that I think we have to understand the prison in is we have to also think about um, our coalitions in that way. Um, and I think that's one of the sort of central points that Sylvie and I had wanted to make with the piece. And that was totally, as Tanya said, was totally ignored in the NBC news piece is that, uh, really, it's all of the work that you all did in Letcher County that the Letcher Governance Project did and that um, you did with all of these other groups operating sort of at different scales and in different spaces. Yeah. Uh, Sylvia, do you have anything? I, I just think that the organizing that's been done around this is some of the most exciting organizing happening. And I also think that there's an incredible long, decades-long history of work specifically against mass incarceration in Letcher County. And then obviously, um, you know, a century of organizing um, that this, you know, is a part of that lineage. Um, and I think that's what... Um, a story that really needs to be told nationally um, is the work that, that you all are doing. So thank you for that. Well, um, we thank you for your, uh, your work as well. It, none, literally, I told you many times over the years, Sylvia, it wouldn't have been possible without all that research. And the same goes for you as well, Judah. Um, you can check out their article. It's in the Boston Review. Uh, I just had it in front of me. I can't remember what it is now. Uh, it's called Building Prisons in Appalachia. Um, and thank you both for being on the show today and uh, please make sure Tanya makes it back in one piece <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for having us thank you guys yeah no it's, it's been a really fun time and uh, Tanya don't forget you need quarters on the bus <laughs> oh my god don't talk to strangers <laughs> yeah, don't talk to strangers <laughs> don't do I love strangers pool. that's all I do <laughs> It's my favorite pastime. Uh, all right. Well, this has been great, and uh, thank you all, and um, we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Thanks, y'all. See you later. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks Bye. so much. Bye.